2: Hello from New York. You're listening to a special edition of Tasting Menu, giving you our pick of the Open Future season, which The Economist launched this year to celebrate 175 years since our founding. Open Future is an initiative to remake the case for liberal values and policies at a time when we think they're under threat. We wanted our exploration of ideas to involve our critics as well as our supporters. And we've started lively conversations across all of The Economist's platforms, in the newspaper, on the website, and through our podcasts, films, and on social media. Here's just a flavour of it. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor at The Economist. And on your Open Future menu today... Angelina Jolie explains how to alleviate the refugee crisis. James Comey on the Trump fever that may actually make America stronger. And Bjorn from ABBA on why we have to fight for Europe's liberal values. But we start with the Open Future Festival held here in New York on Saturday, September fifteenth. Sandy minton Beddoes, editor editor-in-chief of The Economist, shared the stage with Steve Bannon. President Trump's former chief strategist to take his views on directly face-to-face.
0: What I've already... said on the, and, uh, hang on, uh, HB1 visas and uh, you know, excess immigration is to limit that so that we can have our African-American, commu- African our Hispanic and working class community can finally start to get jobs in the high tech that, space. That's, that's, da, 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 exactly, no, that's precisely Im, illegal what Illegal immigration I want to and legal immigration you. are nothing more, exactly what the bad trade deals, is, is to no. suppress workers' okay. wages Actually, of all races and creeds.
3: I would absolutely disagree, because if you look at this country, foreign entrepreneurs create 25% of new companies in this country. Foreign, more than half of American big tech companies are founded either by immigrants or the children of immigrants immigration in this country has led to more jobs more innovation more entrepreneurship by cutting legal immigration you are cutting a source of growth and prosperity you are going to hurt the prospects of the the, very people you're trying to help the
0: the merit-based raise act will cover that until we start to get full zannie
2: minton beddoes there with steve bannon remember you can read more about the open future campaign on our website and if you haven't already Why not subscribe to the paper and follow the argument further? Go to economist.com slash radio offer, 12 issues for $12 or 12 of your British pounds. Challenges to liberal ideas have come from numerous directions in recent years. One of the most tangible pressures leading to political and social tension is the ongoing refugee crisis. Venezuela, Syria, Eritrea, the list of countries contributing to the global exodus is growing as are the reasons for displacement. Writing on our website earlier this year, Angelina Jolie, the actor and special envoy of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, explained how to alleviate the
4: refugee crisis, tackle the issue at its source. Some 68 million people are now displaced by violence and persecution, equal to a fifth of the population of America, nearly half that of Russia, and more than the entire population of the United Kingdom.
2: The situation is unsustainable, But unilateral measures targeting refugees will
4: only serve to inflame the problem, she writes. It may not be popular to argue that we need to work with our allies to find lasting solutions to complex conflicts through diplomacy. But it happens to be true. Most people who are displaced by violence remain within the borders of their own countries. Those who are forced out tend to stay as close as they can to home in neighbouring nations. Only a tiny fraction of all refugees, less than 1% globally, are resettled, including in Western nations. The world's poorer nations are bearing the brunt of the burden. We cannot simply blindly assume that they will continue to do this irrespective of policies in wealthier nations.
2: Diplomatic solutions in specific countries could have a marked effect on the crisis.
4: As many as two-thirds of all refugees under UNHCR's mandate come from just five countries, Syria, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Myanmar, and Somalia. Peace in any one of those five countries, creating the conditions for people to return home, would bring the numbers of refugees worldwide down by millions.
2: These solutions may be politically difficult, yet Ms. Jolie is sanguine about humanity acting together to effect real
4: change. We live in divisive times, but history also shows our ability to unite, overcome a global crisis, and renew our sense of purpose and community with other nations. That is the greatest strength of an open society. We should not leave the debate to those who'd exploit public anxiety for political advantage. We are being tested today, and our response will be the measure of our humanity.
2: Elsewhere, as part of the open market section of Open Future, we explored other measures of humanity. Economist Films produced a series of videos, one of which tackled the thorny question of whether we should tax the rich more. Here's a snippet of that, featuring our Britain economics correspondent, Callum Williams.
5: Everyone depends on hospitals, roads, police and schools, but they're expensive. And governments across the world are feeling the pinch.
2: Ageing societies means government spending in many countries is going to have to rise. So where's the money coming from?
5: Some economists advocate something called a land value tax, and this is basically where you tax the value of plots of land. And this can raise a lot of money. A land value tax has very few unintentional bad consequences. The problem is that taxing wealth is not politically easy. Homeowners, for instance, are going to be furious if they're asked to pay higher property taxes. But if people want good government services, it's going to need money. Taxes on wealth are always unpopular. But sooner or later, governments are going to have to bite the bullet.
2: Another challenge to liberal ideals is the rise of nationalist populism, embodied but not restricted to the election of Donald Trump as President of the United States. On Economist Radio, I asked Madeleine Albright, America's former and first female Secretary of State, how foreign policy is being influenced by populism and how it can stand up to the challenge. I am troubled in some of the language that has been used by President Trump, kind of not fully getting it in terms of how important NATO is for America and for um, our allies. And given some of the surprises that have been visited upon the international scene by things that President Trump has said, the G7 aspect, I think that I hope very much that he makes clear that Article 5 which is about the collective security, is the heart of NATO, and that NATO, um, that we, we are, uh, it isn't a transactional thing. NATO is not a hotel where people come and pay for the night and move on. We also had James Comey as a guest on Economist Radio earlier this year. So I asked the former director of the FBI about Donald Trump's resilience in office and how he feels about the possibility of a two-term Trump presidency. What's
6: possible? And, and look, it's the responsibility of the American people. I hope to be part of a conversation to awaken the giant that is the American people that are essentially ethical, good people, and have them realize that a threat to our values transcends politics, and that you can't have a president who doesn't reflect American values. Now, maybe that won't happen. Maybe the, the fever won't break until a second term. But... The lesson of American history is it inevitably breaks. He reflects a pain and an illness that is a regular feature of American life. We make great progress, there's change and turbulence and pain, and then we suffer a period of fever, and then we recover. And we're stronger for it. I know this sounds like a strange thing, but I actually think Donald Trump in many ways, unintentionally on his part, is actually helping America. Because we're so caught fighting about policy issues that we lose sight of many times what unites us. There's a revisiting of people's view of George W. Bush and Barack Obama, both of whom were viciously attacked by partisan opposition. Now people are stepping back and saying, well, wait a minute, both of those people were committed to American values. Wow, we need that in the Oval Office. And that's obviously not Donald Trump's intention, but by example, he's showing us what we need. And in an odd way, that's healthy for us.
2: Under the Open Society umbrella of the initiative, Margot Wallström, Sweden's foreign minister, argued online that culture isn't an excuse for oppressing women. In a powerful article
1: on our website, she argued there are principled and practical reasons for improving women's rights. Sexual violence in conflict is one of the cruelest, most inhumane and vicious acts. It is a war crime. Yet, during my time as UN Special Representative, I often heard people say that sexual violence was inevitable, that it was part of the culture of war. Miss Wallstrom reflected on the word culture and the way she sees it used to justify the oppression of women. Not all oppression of women around the world can be explained by culture. And of course, not all cultures include the oppression of women. But the instances of it are many and varied, from the woman who is forced to marry against her will in the name of religion to the woman who is expected to put up with sexual harassment at work because... That's just the way it is. There are legal arguments and those of ethics and principles. Miss Wallstrom highlighted the practical. Gender equality increases wealth. A recent report by the OECD showed that the rise in female participation in the labour market in the Nordic countries over the past 50 years accounted for a 10 to 20% increase in GDP. Peace agreements that include women among the signatories are more likely to last. And finally, a word about democracy women are half the world's population. Is it too much to ask for half the influence? You can read the full article online at economist.com slash open future.
0: Now. Can you imagine life without Google, Facebook or Amazon? Chances are you're actually on one of those platforms right now watching this.
2: Another creation from the Economist films team. And this one came as part of the open progress, part of the initiative. It focuses on technology and on innovation. With a few technology companies controlling much of the way information is consumed online, there's a growing view that certain big web platforms need to be reined in.
0: Amazon accounts for over 40% of retail sales in America and has a huge market share elsewhere.
2: So on a special show, Kenneth Cookier explained how we might tame
0: the tech giants. First, they should scrutinize even small mergers for potentially anti-competitive effects. This will prevent the tech giants from buying up firms that could become rivals. And second, regulators should consider giving individuals rights over their data and potentially require the platforms to share data to encourage competition. It's hard to imagine how that might work in practice since nothing like that has been done before. But it is not impossible. And just the threat of this compulsory openness might enforce good behavior.
2: Our penultimate taster from this year's Open Future campaign came from a band hallowed in European culture. Bjorn Ulvaeus from ABBA was my guest on The Economist Asks. And we discussed the Me Too movement, melancholia and his musical influences. And some of them might surprise you. Here he gives us his views on Brexit, liberalism and social democracy's place in the challenged world. Even before Sweden's recent election.
5: I'm a European through and through. And I'm really, really sad that some of the Brits feel that they, you know, wanna, they wanna, don't wanna be among their friends anymore, and I just don't understand it. But there you go. Uh, I hope that um, the rest of Europe will somehow find some strength to uh, withstand the populists and and those who. Um, deep down want to be dictators and, and are enemies of democracy I think deep down
2: you've seen so, your own country change quite a lot as well haven't you from the I mean, your yes. music is used in the Lucas Madison film uh, SOS about changes in Swedish society from a kind of to put the boot on the other foot so to speak that the social democratic ideal is also a bit tattered't is it Government it is starting. it's
5: very it's very tattered all over Europe all over the world perhaps. It, it's like they cannot find the path anymore. And they, uh, the, the relevance, everyone wonders, what, what is the relevance in social democracy? But I think liberal democracy, um, when it's at its best in Europe, that's what we must be fighting for.
2: And finally, last week's cover commemorated The Economist's 175th year. And our cover leader was a manifesto for liberalism, and how it might succeed as the world looks like it is, at least in part, turning against it. In last week's The Week Ahead podcast, our editor-in-chief, Zannie Minton-Beddoes, and our deputy editor, Ed Carr, discussed why liberals need to rekindle their desire for radicalism.
3: The rise of China is, I think, the most important development in the world in the 21st century. For the system as a whole, it has challenged the existing international economic order, Politically, I think the challenge to liberals has to be that 25 years after the entry of China into the international economic system, the expectation that I think many liberals had, that economic prosperity would be followed by political liberalization, does not seem to hold. China, particularly under President Xi, has become ever less liberal. It's ever more authoritarian. And so it is going to be the most important and Biggest economy in the world. It has rising clout, a rising, a growing determination to play a bigger role internationally, and it is fundamentally not liberal. And I think there's a, a, one other factor that complicates that. It's not just that the liberal powers have to accommodate China with its illiberal designs and its, its illiberal requirements to feel comfortable in the global system, but also that though we like to think that ideas spread just by the pure virtue and strength of ideas I think there's an element of power as well and the overwhelming dominance of the United States and Pax Americana was itself an attractor for countries and a reason for governments to want to think about American values and American ideas well now there's there's a competing set of ideas and we'll see just how much ideology matters and how much power matters in the way the the countries uh, decide to go.
2: That's all from this week's Open Future Tasting Menu. If you'd like to hear, watch and read some more, do go to economist.com slash openfuture for more highlights of the campaign, including interviews with Jordan Peterson, Larry Summers and Imran Khan. And if you have any thoughts on this week's episode or on our Open Future campaign in general, well, do leave us a review or write to us, radio at economist.com. We all love to hear from you. I'm Anne McElvoy in New York. This is The Economist.